Thank you, praise team. Thank the choir. Thank all of you for taking part in our worship tonight. Uh, it's good to just come be together and worship the Lord, sing hymns and praise songs and just uh, be at peace with God and have the freedom to worship. Amen. Just have a good time. I don't know any other place I'd rather be tonight than in God's house and worshiping Him. I believe that's about the best you can, best place you can be in, as in His house with His people and worshiping. And so I'm happy to be here tonight. We're going to pause and have a prayer. It's going to be a little different tonight. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Terry, you come if you will, and Brother Terry, let me let me introduce you before he begin to say anything. You may not, may not have been here last night. Brother Terry Long is our evangelist this week. And uh, Brother Terry is a director of missions in Choctaw Association down Butler in um, Alabama. And so uh, he also works uh, uh, part-time uh, through our state convention through the evangelism department, travels all over our state and preaches in a lot of churches and and uh, so it worked out where he could be with us this week, and I appreciate Terry Long, I really do. And uh, let me just mention, uh, he didn't ask me to do this, but uh, we'll receive a love offering every night uh, to give to him at, at the... Thank you, thank you. <laughs> We're going to receive this love offering, and uh, we depend on you to go by the, the Welcome Center are the little table set up out there. It's a little different since COVID. We have the plates out there. Kind of makes a preacher nervous when the plates are that far away. <laughs> but anyway, if you would be generous, pray and ask the Lord to, what to give to Brother Terry and, uh, and that'll keep him on the road and, and help him as he ministers. But um, I just wanted to mention that. But uh, we're happy to have you, Brother Terry. And so... After our prayer, you just feel, preached, feel free to preach God's word to us. God bless you. I believe it laid a mic for you. Give me just a second. Brother Fred? Yes. It's Terry Long in Alabama. Well, great. <laughs> Are you in the mountains of North Carolina? Yes, I sure am. Well, we're here at Mountain View Baptist Church in Phil Campbell, Alabama. And uh, we're about to have a revival service. I'm about to preach. And I think these folks would be blessed if you would pray for Mountain View Baptist Church to have revival. Would you be willing to do that? I'll be glad to. All right. Would you all stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for the tremendous opportunity to join these godly people in the state of Alabama to pray for Mountain View Baptist Church, oh God, I'm asking you, dear Lord, from the depths of my heart to hear uh, their prayers, hear their cries, 
as they cry out to you for revival among them. Thank you for Brother Long, and I pray, God, for anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him as he stands to preach the word. Yes. Anoint him, O God, from on high. Give him heavenly unction. Set his soul on fire. And Lord, may he declare the full counsel of God in the power of God that only you can do. Use his people, his lips of clay. Use his tongue to tell the story of Jesus in a dynamic way that will pierce the hearts of everyone. I pray, dear God, from a personal standpoint, that anybody in the congregation tonight that has not trusted you as their Savior and Lord, that they don't know for sure they'll be going to heaven when they die, that they will come, Paul, come and Give their hearts to God tonight. Yes. Trust you as their personal Savior. Amen. Oh, God, and all of your God's children, all of your children that are congregated there tonight, I pray, God, that you would give them revival in their soul. Yes. Revive their spirits, oh, God. Yes. Set them on fire. Mm. And may revival burst forth in that great church spill over into the state of, of Louisiana and Mississippi and, and, and South Carolina and Georgia and, 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 and dear Lord in Florida and all the way into North Carolina and are all over the world. Oh God, we need a heaven sent revival, yes. a Holy Ghost revival that will move people into the kingdom of God. Breathe on them, I pray. Breathe on my heart and help me, O oh God, to even though I'm not there with them, that thou be a part of them in this great and mighty movement. Thank you for what you're going to do, what you're already been doing. And I thank you, Lord, for the pastor of this church and pray your blessings upon him. Set his soul on fire, O oh God, as he stands before his people. Lord God, I'm just asking the best I know how. Dear Lord, please send the revival to these godly people. They're your children, O oh God, and they love you. And they're gathered in your name and asking for revival. And praise God, send it, O oh God. Thank you. Thank you, God, for sending the Holy Ghost revival to this wonderful godly people. Breathe on them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. Hail glory. Well, glory. Hey, God bless you. Brother Fred, I believe these yes. folks may want to tell you they love you. Could we all say in one time, we love you, Brother Fred. Ready? We love you, Brother Fred. Thank you. We love you and love you much, and we would like to be with you. We can't be there in mighty, but we can be with you there in spirit. Well, Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Fred. Well. Thank you for sharing this time with us. God bless you. Rest well tonight. God bless you. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Folks, you just heard from a real man of God. You hear from one every Sunday. 
You may be seated. There you go. Thank you, Kyle. What a beautiful man. What a wonderful man. 97 years old. And let me just tell you something. Um, you can talk to him for two hours, two and a half hours, anytime. And he will pull up dates and names and places and events from his past without hesitation. Never seen him hesitate. And he'll just talk about things that have happened and people that have influenced his life and places he's been. And it's incredible the mind that God's given this mountain preacher. Brother, he prayed for you. I believe there'll be a new anointing on you. I thank the Lord. He's prayed for this church. He means business. They say when Fred Lunsford prays, he punches holes in the dark. And that's uh, how he actually has a book by that title, Punching Holes in the Dark. You can, you can uh, Google his name and probably pull up some of his books, but he's just a, he's just a mountain preacher who loves God. I, I, I love him. I love him. I, I can't, I can't uh, spend enough time with him. I want to go back up there and spend some more time with him. But he was gracious to come and share this time with us, and I know it blessed him as it did me. That bless y'all? Amen. It did me too. Well, if it did, turn to 2 Kings chapter 6 in your Bible. I don't have a video tonight. I guess I'm going to have to preach. <laughs> oh, boy, we've had a good time today. Brother Sammy and I, we rode all around Russellville. He showed me every, everything he ever did in his life growing up in Russellville. We just, I, I know everything there is nobody. And uh, well, almost, um, almost. Miss Judy said she could tell me a few more things than what I know. Um, Corey could chime in there too, couldn't you? But I've come to love this man. I appreciate him so much, his love, his ministry, his faithfulness to you. But I'm, I'm praying for revival, and I'm praying that tonight God will speak a word to us that'll, that'll pull us to himself, draw us to the cross, and just revive our souls. How many of you would like to see that happen tonight? Is that what you're here for? Good, good. 2 Kings chapter 6. Hey, this is one of the most exciting verses of Scripture, passages of Scripture. This is one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament. I've loved this story for years. I wanted to preach on it, and I never could get a message on it. And finally, uh, a few years ago, the Lord gave me a word on it. And, and I love preaching on the lost axe head, the axe head that swam. Here's, here it is, 2 Kings chapter 6. As miraculous as it is, as hard to believe as it is, listen to what Scripture says. Verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where fell it? That's King James. I'm I, I, I flipping back to it. Where did it fall? New King James says. And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Now you might want to underline that passage. He made that verse, that part of that verse, and he made the iron float. Therefore he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. Story of the 
axe head that floated. Now this is actually a story from the life and ministry of Elisha the prophet. And we know that Elisha the prophet is a man whose ministry depicts the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the life of a believer and in the life of a church. You'll recall that when Elisha prayed to God at the beginning of his ministry, he said, Lord, I pray that a double portion of the Spirit that rested upon Elijah would rest upon me. And here was a man who so hungered for the activity of the Holy Spirit in his life that he longed to have the same anointing that his master Elijah had and more so. And so in the miracles of Elisha, we see illustration after illustration of how the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer and in the life of a church. So for the next few moments, I want to preach on the subject, have you lost your cutting edge? Have you lost your cutting edge? In the setting of our text tonight, we find the school of the prophets. These are the sons of the prophets, a bunch of preacher boys that had been called by God to preach the Word of God, had been called by God to prophesy. These young men were called to proclaim the good news of the coming of the Lord. And Elisha was teaching them. They were in seminary, if you will. And they said to Elisha one day, Elisha, the place we're living in and learning in is too small. We've outgrown it. We need to build something bigger. It's not big enough to contain us. Now that's a good thing to say to the man of God, don't you think? Uh, come to the preacher and say, you know what? We can't hold the people. we got too many people hungering after Jesus and coming to hear about Jesus, and we're going to have to build something bigger. I don't know a preacher alive that would be upset if his church members came to him and said, we need to build something bigger. I wish that we had a department in the Southern Baptist Convention called your place is too small, you need to build something bigger. But unfortunately, we don't have that. What we do have are, are committees and counselors and people who try to help resolve conflicts and power plays and splits and divisions within our denomination. Instead of building it up, a lot of our churches are just tearing it down. And so we really need to, to understand this was a very special thing when these folks came and said to Elisha, our, our church is too small, our place is too small, where we're living and learning, we need to build something bigger. That's really special. So Elisha says in verse 3, uh, he'll go, they said, Elisha, we want you to go with us. And I really like that part. I mean, they were going, he said, go, go do it. Go, go cut down the trees and start building. They said, yeah, but we want you to go with us. <laughs> we like you. Now I like that because it tells me that the, here was a group of people that really wanted to be around a man of God. They wanted to spend time with a man that they knew was in touch with God. That's why I'm drawn to Fred Lunsford. He's an old mountain preacher who's in touch with God. And I like to be around people that are in touch with God, don't you? I like to be around people who really know God. I like to be around people who, if I have a need, I can say, would you pray for me? And I know they're going to get a hold of the horns of the altar, and they're going to pray, and they're going to talk to God for me. I like those kind of folks. And that's what these kind of folks were. And so in verse 4, it says, uh, they said, Prophet, go with us, and, and uh, we want you there with us. And he said, I'll go with you. Verse 4 says he went with them. And when they got to the Jordan River, they began to cut down wood. I, I mean, they just went right to work. They just started chopping trees and felling trees. And, and I mean, they were working so hard. And I really like that in this story. 
I like the fact that they were some, here were some people that took action. You know, we love to talk about it. We like to form committees and talk about problems. I hope when I get to heaven, Brother Sammy, there are no committees in heaven. If I get to heaven and there are committees, I might come back. I, I don't think I want to be there. You know, somebody said a camel is a horse put together by a Baptist committee. Thank God that God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. He sent his son. Well, here was a group of people that didn't just talk about it. They didn't just form a committee. They went to work. And what I know about the things of God is you're never going to get anything accomplished if you just talk about it, but you're not willing to work for it. So they went out to work. Hey, it's a good thing to pray for people to be saved. We need to do that. We ought to do that. And we ought to learn to talk to God about men before we talk to men about God. Yes, I believe in praying for people, but there comes a time, folks, when you need to put some feet to those prayers and you need to go out and talk to people about Jesus. You need to share verbally the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been doing that all day long. It's been fun. I love to talk to folks about Jesus. But we need to talk to them. I heard about a little girl who was upset because her brother Johnny was building traps and trapping squirrels out in the woods. And she felt sorry for those little squirrels. And she complained to her mama. And her mama said, well, don't, honey, why don't, what you going to do about it? She said, I don't know. She went in her bedroom and shut the door. And she came out a little while later and she was just at perfect peace. And her mama said, but she disappeared for a little while and she came back in the house. Her mom said, are you okay? She said, I'm fine. She said, well, you were upset earlier. She said, yeah, but then I went in my bedroom and prayed about it. And she said, really? She said, yeah, I felt better. And she said, is that, is that, did that satisfy you? She said, well, it did, but then I went out in the woods and kicked those squirrel traps to pieces. So she took some action. She prayed about it and then she was like the answer to her own prayer. So she went out. Now these folks, they, they prayed and then they went to work. I think we ought to pray for old Joe down the street to be saved, but I think sometimes we need to get in our car and go down that street and talk to old Joe about Jesus. So these were folks that took action. And so they're out there chopping down trees. Now in the midst of all this activity and all this chopping, something happened. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, But as one was cutting down the tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. So they're chopping trees, and they're chopping and chopping, and trees are falling. And all of a sudden, one of them swung his axe and hit the tree, and it jarred his hand because there was no axe head. He just hit the tree with the axe handle. The axe head had flown off into the Jordan River and sank to the bottom, as axe heads will do. And so he had nothing but the axe head and, 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 and you know, jarring hands. I don't know if you were, when you were a boy, if you ever took a baseball bat or a girl, took a baseball bat out and wrapped it up against a tree or up against a, 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 a fence post or something, you know, don't go home and do that. Um, I did that once, and I didn't hurt the tree, but it sure did hurt my hand. You're going to wind up hurting your hand more than you hurt anything else. So this guy hits the tree with the axe handle, and it doesn't do anything but hurt his hand. So... I don't know anybody, do you, who has ever chopped down a tree with an axe handle? So you, you I mean, I don't, you can't chop a tree down with an axe handle. I, I didn't think you knew anybody. I don't know anybody that's ever done that. And here's, here's a guy who's lost his cutting edge. Now listen, this is interesting. They were doing a good thing, weren't they? They were progressing. They were growing. They were building something for the Lord. 
They were doing the right thing, doing a good thing. And in the midst of that, he lost his cutting edge. And what that says to me is this. You can lose your cutting edge doing good things for the Lord. You can be busy working in the church and lose your cutting edge. And the question I'm going to ask you again and again tonight is this. I want you to look in your heart and ask yourself this question. Have I lost my cutting edge? Have I lost my cutting edge? You see, when I open my Bible and look at the church in the book of Acts and the fellowship that they had and the evangelistic power and the miracles and the growth and the people that got saved, and then I look around at the church today, is it not obvious, folks, that something is missing in the church today? We see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. We talk about the acts of the apostles, but the book of Acts is really not the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit in the apostles. And there was a cutting edge, and everywhere they went, the power of the Holy Spirit just convicted people and brought people to Christ. And yet, it's obvious to me when we look at the church today, we've lost something. It seems to me that we're just going around beating on trees with bare axe handles. And every now and then we look up and realize that with all of our activity and all of our work, the one thing that's missing is the sound of fallen trees. We're not seeing people saved anymore. We have churches in many of our associations, including mine, about half of our churches baptized zero this year. Maybe one. Most of our churches, the average baptism across the Southern Baptist Convention in churches is two in a year per church folks that's not going to get the job done so we know something's wrong we look around and realize we're not failing trees so what do we do we, we've got to find a solution here's what we do we call for strategy conferences and have seminars on how to better swing an axe handle how to improve our swing with an axe handle we take a census of the trees and bring in a motivational speaker to motivate the woodchoppers. We declare that this is National Tree Cutting Week with a goal of cutting down 25% more trees than we did last year, which was zero. We polish our axe handles so our axe handles look better than the group down the road that's chopping trees with their axe handles. This is the kind of stuff that we do. We, we, have, we preach a sermon on seven steps to effective chopping with an axe handle, and then we send our people out with axe handles to chop down trees. And it doesn't work. Vance Havner said, Alas, though the noise of the workmen is great, there's one thing missing, it's the sound of falling trees. We have movement without might, energy without effectiveness, religion without results, and much doing with very little dynamic. And what we end up with is bruised hands, tired bodies, and wounded trees, and this is leading to more and more people laying down the axe handle and walking out of the forest forever. The Southern Baptist Convention is in trouble. We're a sinking ship. If we don't get back to winning souls, if we don't get back to doing what Jesus commanded us to do and what we're all about, our denomination is going to go the way of many of the other liberal denominations. We lost 400,000 church members in 2020. We've been average. You say, well, that's just because of COVID. Well, how do you explain the 15 years prior to that when we were losing 200,000 every year, church members? Baptisms have steadily gone down for the last 20 years. In 2020, we baptized of the fewest we've ever baptized since 1918 when the influenza pandemic was taking place. 
we're in trouble. Something's missing. I go in churches, and I don't see how sometimes those folks sit in that church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It's so dry. It's so dead. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's really dead. Somebody said our, our church is so cold that if a Jersey milk cow came down the center aisle, she'd be giving out popsicles before she ever got to the front. I mean, some of these churches are icy cold. And I mean, we, we are in trouble in our churches today. Something is missing. You say, what? What's missing? Well, folks, it's the axe head. It's the cutting edge. You know, you can chop a tree down pretty good if you have a sharp cutting edge. You can't chop a tree down with an axe handle. You say, preacher, you keep talking about the cutting edge. What in the world are you talking about? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Here's what I'm talking about. The cutting edge is the life of God in Christ Jesus released into the world via the Holy Spirit. That's the cutting edge. It's the life of God through Jesus Christ in you released into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, with all of our programs and our abilities and talents and gifts, we are nothing without the cutting edge of the Holy Spirit of God. You know the devil doesn't care one iota if we all go out of here and witness to somebody on the way home. He doesn't care. So long as you do it in your own power and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't care if you sing on this platform as long as you're depending on your own natural talent instead of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't care if you preach a, a hermeneutically and homiletically perfect sermon so long as you don't do it under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you do it without the Holy Spirit, it's like trying to cut a tree down with nothing but the axe head. Or axe handle, not the axe head. You see... We're nothing without Jesus. I mean, he's everything. I, I had a young man saved my trial sermon in my church in Louisiana, Lake Charles. He got saved the first Sunday I was there. He, I discipled him for about eight months. He became a Sunday school teacher. He was Catholic. I mean, so Catholic that he would call me on the phone. He'd say, hey, Monsignor, what time is Mass on Sunday? His name was Richard Louvier. I said, Richard, you got to get your terminology right. I'm not a Monsignor. I'm a preacher. And we don't have mass, we have Sunday school. You've got to learn the lingo, brother. And so we became fishing buddies, and he was a, a Cajun culinary genius, and he worked shift work at the plants. He would call me. He'd say, hey, what you doing for lunch? I said, I guess I'm eating lunch with you. That's why you call it. He said, yeah, I'm cooking. I want you to come over. I said, what do we have? And I ain't going to tell you until you get here. Never knew what I was going to have. I've eaten some really strange things over there. One of the best things he fixed was stuffed beef tongue. Yum, that was really good. <laughs> I see the look on your face. But I mean, I never knew. I ate a little bit of everything with Richard. So Richard just got saved, and then he grew and grew, and the, and the Lord began to use him. Then the Lord, at 50, the Lord called him to preach. He resigned, uh, he left the job at, uh, at the uh, petroleum plant, and accepted a small church in Iowa, Louisiana, which is about 15 minutes outside of Lake Charles, where he is still pastoring that church today. I preached his first revival, and he got up in the pulpit, and he said, now let me tell you something. He said, I learned this from my pastor here. He said, I am nothing. You are nothing. We are nothing. But Jesus is everything. 
and he's everything. He said, and we love him. He said, I'm nothing, you're nothing, we're nothing. It's all about him, and his name is Jesus. I love that. And that's the truth. Folks, listen. We're nothing outside of Christ. He's everything. You don't have anything to offer a lost person except Jesus. You don't have anything to give a hurting person except Jesus. The life of Christ in us is everything that we have to offer. We're just the axe handles upon which the axe head, the cutting edge of the Holy Spirit, swings. That's all we are. The great maestro Toscanini was leading a a, a, a symphony, Beethoven symphony, fifth symphony, in a huge uh, concert hall in New York City. And I mean, they performed that concerto perfectly. And when they got through, the people stood in a standing ovation to Toscanini and that orchestra. And they were throwing flowers and roses and all kind of things up on the platform. And they wouldn't stop clapping. And he just kept bowing and the orchestra kept bowing and they just kept clapping and finally, Toscanini turned to his orchestra, turned his back to the audience and said to the orchestra, he said, you are nothing. Well, that wasn't anything new. They, Toscanini was known for berating his, uh, his orchestras. But then he said this, he said, Toscanini is nothing. They hadn't heard that before. But he said, Beethoven is everything. Everything everything and ladies and gentlemen i'm just going to say this to you tonight and i mean it with love you are nothing in and of yourselves i am nothing in and of myself brother sammy is nothing in and of himself we are nothing but jesus is everything 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 and what we do, we need to do in the power of the, of the Holy Spirit of God. Because without His anointing, without His power, and without His blessing, without His strength, we're just chopping trees with axe handles. And that's what's wrong with us today. Vance Havner said it best when he said it like this. Many of the Lord's workmen today have lost the axe head of power. They've lost the joy of salvation. They've not the upholding of God's Spirit. The lost axe head of the Spirit's unction has fallen into the waters of worldliness, the ponds of indifference, and the swamps of sluggishness. They have ability, they have training and sincerity and earnestness, but they're chopping with the handle. They stand before a demonized world, powerless, and it must be said of them as it was of the disciples before the demonized boy, and they could not. Oh, the pitiful tragedy of the lost axe heads of the church today. Folks, I want to tell you, Mountain View folks, there's one great danger facing your church tonight, along with every other church in this area. And it is not the danger of losing your reputation. It's not the danger of losing members. It's not the danger of losing respect in the community. It's not even the danger of losing your, your members who tithe. It's not even the danger of losing your wonderful, godly pastor. The greatest danger facing Mountain View Baptist Church tonight is the danger of losing the touch of God upon your church. You can't do it without the touch of God. And that's the greatest danger you face. So whatever you do, you've got to have the anointing, the blessing. With the blessing of the Lord, with the axe head of God, 
You can do anything God wants you to do without the blessing of the Lord, without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, without the axe head. You can't do anything that pleases God. Have you lost your cutting edge? We need to be honest with ourselves tonight and admit that we just cannot do the work of God without the power of God. And it's high time we found the lost axe head. Some of you tonight are doing good things. You're doing wonderful things in this church. You're working. You've got some workers in this church. There's no question about it. But let me just tell you, it's easy in the midst of doing good things for God to lose your cutting edge personally. And it's a tragedy. And I think a lot of Baptists need to hear what I'm about to say. Busyness does not equal spiritual. Did you hear me? Busyness does not equal spiritual. Now you can be busy and be spiritual. And you can be busy and not be spiritual. But you can love the work of the Lord and not love the Lord of the work. You can be in love with the work of the church, but not be in love with the Lord of the church. And when you lose your cutting edge, here's what happens. You become stale and jaded and cynical and cold and complacent and content and tired and weary and hard-hearted. And I know a lot of good people in churches that mean well and they're holding up and they're doing the work, but it's just become routine and they're tired and they really want to lay that axe handle down. No, you don't need to lay the axe handle down. You just need to recover that lost axe head. You need to recover your cutting edge. He lost his cutting edge. And when you lose your cutting edge, you lose your effectiveness. You lose your joy. Am I talking to anybody tonight that you used to have joy, but you can't feel it anymore? There was a spring in your step, a smile on your face, a sparkle in your eye, but that's long gone. And there's no joy in serving Jesus. Paul was a man that suffered terrible indignities and, and terrible suffering and terrible persecution. Thrown into the Philippian jail, beaten, bloody. And, and, and there that night, he and Silas, what do they do? They're not whining and crying. That's what Baptists would do. They, if, we know they weren't Baptists because they didn't whine and cry. They were singing praises to God at midnight. And God was so pleased with how they reacted. He sent an earthquake and that opened the jail. And the Philippian jailer gets saved and his entire family. Paul had a, a joy that kept him going even in hard times. I call what Paul had jailhouse joy. That's what he had, Kyle. It was jailhouse joy. Jailhouse joy is the kind of joy that when circumstances are tough, when the tears are rolling down your face, there's still a joy bubbling in your soul. Some of us don't know what joy is anymore. One lady said joy is when you see your husband's ex-wife or ex-girlfriend and she's fatter than you. But that's not real joy. That's not real biblical happiness. Real joy comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ and from an anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, and there are so many Christians and so many Baptists that I know who don't have that. I'm asking you the question tonight. Have you lost your cutting edge? 
Brothers and sisters, there should be nothing that breaks our hearts more than to realize that while we have convinced ourselves that everything's all right with me, and I hope all the rest of those folks get revived, the fact is, deep down inside, we've known for a while something hadn't been just right. We're not just out and out, going out and living pagan lives, but something's off kilter. Something's just not quite right. We've slipped from where we were, and we can remember when there was a fire burning in our heart, and it's not burning anymore. And we realize we've lost the cutting edge of our life and become ineffective for the Lord. And that should break our hearts. So the axe head was lost. But I want you to see something else. The axe head was borrowed. Look again at verse 5. Alas, Master, he said, for it was borrowed. It was borrowed. It wasn't his axe head. It was borrowed. Now listen, I'm not going to belabor this point, but you need to see that the axe head was not his. It was borrowed. And what that says to me, dear friend, is that you never, we never possess the power of God. Rather, the power of God possesses us. There's a difference in you having the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit having you. You have all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. You're not looking for more of Him. The question is, does He have all of you? You say, Brother Terry, when I get filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, do I need to, uh, you know, when I get saved, uh, do I need to come back later and get the Holy Spirit? You know, there are those that teach you get saved and then you have to have a subsequent experience to get the Holy Spirit that's not true you get Jesus you get the family so let me ask you men this tonight how many of you men are married let's see raise your hand I'm not going to ask you the date okay all right when you were dating that sweet young thing that you call your wife is sitting right next to you and you finally worked up the courage to pop the question and and you sort of clear, you know, cleared your throat and, and uh, you, you, you asked the question and she coughed and you thought she said yes and so you married her. You remember that? When you got her as your wife, let me just ask you this. Did you just get her? No. You got her mother. You got her father. You got her brothers. You got her sisters. You got the whole family, the in-laws and the outlaws. You got them all. And when you married Jesus, you got the whole family. God the Father, God the Son, and God the blessed Holy Spirit. You don't have to come back later and get the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe you need to be filled with the Spirit. Because like I'm saying, you may have Him, He may not have all of you. Brother Terry, do you believe that, that Baptists need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. I, I, I believe we ought to be so filled with the Spirit that when a mosquito bites us, he flies away singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. There's power in the blood. I mean, I believe that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you get that by faith, by asking, by receiving, just like you got saved. So it's one thing to, be, to have the Holy Spirit dormant in your life. It's another thing to have the Holy Spirit dominant in your life. It's one thing to have the Holy Spirit resident in your life. It's another thing for Him to be president of your life. D.L. Moody was launching his crusades and everybody was wanting him and he went into a city and met with the pastors and see uh, about setting this crusade up and, and there was a few in the group that wanted somebody besides Moody. They were embarrassed because he slaughtered the king's English, etc., etc., 
didn't have but about a third grade education. And so they wanted somebody else. And so uh, they finally asked the group that wanted Moody. They said, do you think D.L. Moody has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, but we believe the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Moody. And he did. And Moody shook two continents for Christ. You see, it's only his life flowing through us that can make a difference. God's mighty men in the past did their work with borrowed axes and mighty earth-shaking events took place. So we need to come to the place that we realize that the axe head is not ours. It's borrowed and we need to go to the source. You say, Brother Terry, what, what do we do when we realize that we've lost our axe head? But I'm going to tell you what, you need to do what this young man did. He stopped swinging the axe handle. And that's our problem. We want to just keep right on working. We don't want to stop and find the axe head. We just want to keep on working. We want to take time to find the axe head. We just keep slinging the axe handle. But he stopped. And I have an idea that what we need to do tonight is just stop what we're doing and say to God, I'm not going to swing that axe handle one more time until I know you have empowered me until I have the cutting edge. And I believe if we'd stop doing some of our stuff, and I don't mean getting lazy and not working, I mean getting on our face and saying, God, I can't teach that Sunday school lesson Sunday unless I have the axe head of the Spirit. God, I can't sing that song Sunday unless I have the axe head of your Spirit. God, I can't preach that sermon unless I have the axe head of the Spirit, and I will not even try unless you anoint me with your Spirit. And when we get serious with God like that, I believe He'll pour that Spirit out upon us and that is the definition of revival I love that verse of the hymn brethren we have met to worship it says brethren we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down Do you hear that all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down brethren pray and holy manna will be showered all around so we've seen the axe head lost. We've seen that the axe head was borrowed. Now I want you to see the axe head located. Notice verse 6. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. So the prophet asked him, said, where did you lose it? And he showed him right where he lost it. He knew right where he lost it. He went to the spot and pointed it out. And I want to say to you tonight, if you've lost the cutting edge, I believe you probably know right where you lost it. You can probably go right back to the spot. Maybe it was when you had that fit, you know, with somebody at the church that you didn't agree with, they didn't agree with you, and you got mad, and you stopped coming, and you've sort of been pouting ever since. That maybe is where you lost the accent. Maybe it's when you went to college, and some, some professor challenged your Christianity, and you began to doubt what your mom and daddy taught you and what you learned in Sunday school in light of all the intellectual stuff that you're learning at college and you began to doubt and you lost your axe head. Maybe it's when you prayed that prayer for somebody that needed healing and God didn't heal them the way you thought he should and you lost your axe head. You fell out with God. Well, I don't know where you lost it, but I have an idea. You probably can trace it back. You know, my wife will say, I'll say, honey, did you... Do you see my glasses? I use reading glasses. And, and she'll say, well, where did you put them? It's like, well, if I knew that, I could probably find them. But my mama taught me growing up that 
if I lost something, the best thing I could do is just backtrack my steps and just go all the way through the process until I come to the place where I lost them. And so many times I found what I was looking for by just going back, tracing my steps. And if you've lost your axe head and you're not sure where you lost it, just backtrack your steps. Just, just back up and, and, and ask God to show you, and He'll show you where you lost your axe head. The, find, the, the place to find lost power is where you lost it. So you may need to say to God tonight, Lord, I, I'm, if I'm being honest, this is the last time I remember the power of God on my life, and I hadn't seen it since. And Lord, I want you to show me where that place is. And it may be that God will lead you to get right with that person that you had a falling out with or you've been holding bitterness in your heart against. It may be that God will bring you to this altar and you, for you to confess that sin and get right with Him. It may be that you're not saved and God will show you that you're not saved and this is why there's no power in your life. And you can regain the cutting edge. Have you lost your cutting edge? I wonder if there's somebody here tonight that used to be used of God as a soul winner, but you hadn't won anybody to Christ in so long. You've just given up. You don't even try anymore. I had two questions somebody asked me one time, and, and it convicted me. It was a preacher, and, and, and I was under conviction. He said, when was the last time you led anybody to faith in Jesus? Well, that convicted me. And then the second question was even tougher. He said, when was the last time you tried? And that one really convicted me. And I think that's the most important. When's the last time you tried to witness? When's the last time you tried to share the gospel? We ought to be weeping today because we're not weeping. We ought to be burdened because we're not burdened. So maybe somebody here tonight that used to be a soul winner but hard, and hardly a Sunday would go by that you wouldn't see somebody saved that you had talked to about Jesus, but that doesn't happen anymore. Maybe somebody here that used to bask in the presence of God in prayer and you love to spend time with Him in deep soul-searching prayer, but now you hardly ever take time to pray. You're too busy. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that used to hear the Word of God, used to read the Word of God or hear the Word of God preached, and your heart would burn and your eyes would tear up, but now you sit and listen and now you watch and there's no movement. You're, you're not moved emotionally whatsoever. Your heart's not tender toward the things of God anymore. You've lost your cutting edge. I read about a lady named Ann Preston one time who was nicknamed Holy Ann because she lived such a holy life. She couldn't read a lick. Not a lick. But oddly enough, she could read her Bible. And I've heard of several people through the years that could not read, but God gave them the ability to read the Bible. One day, somebody handed her a newspaper and asked if she could read the words on the page. And she scanned that page, and she saw the word Lord, and it was little L, talking about a Lord over in England. And she said, I know that word, but I don't think that's talking about my Lord, because when I read that word, my heart doesn't burn. When I read it in the Bible, my heart burns. She was called Holy Ann. I wonder if there's a time when your heart burned for Jesus when you read His Word and when you thought about Him and when you talked about Him or when you sang about Him in church, but somehow you've lost that burning, you've lost that passion, you've lost that excitement about Jesus. And you've lost your cutting edge. Now look again at verse 6. Let me show you the axe head recovered and we're about finished. Verse 6, And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Now I really... I really like this part because this is the miracle part. 
The Bible says the iron swam. Some translations say it floated. That's not what the word means in the Hebrew. It didn't just float, it swam. The word means to, to flow or to move. This iron axe head floated to the top, moved to the top, and then swam or moved across the water to this young man. You say, preacher, we're living in the 21st century, and you surely don't believe that an iron axe head could float in the water and move across the water like that. Surely you don't believe that. <laughs> yes, I do, because I believe Genesis 1-1. If you believe Genesis 1-1, none of these miracles will bother you. You can sail right on through the Bible if you can get Genesis 1-1 under your belt. But there's another reason why I believe it. I used to work at Ingalls Shipyard in Pascagoula, Mississippi. I worked on a LHA. It's a helicopter assault launch cruise ship. I mean, it's like, it, it was just an, an incredible, it's like a city on water. It weighed 90,000 tons. There was 90,000 tons of iron, and that ship floated right across the water. And that was man-made. Now, let me, let me ask you this. Just think with me. If man can take 90,000 tons of metal, of iron, and work it in such a way that it can float on top of the water, do you think God had to break a sweat to get a little 7 by 9 inch iron axe head to float and swim across the water? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he had to break a sweat to do that. My daughter and them went to Disney World on the Disney cruise, or they went on the Disney cruise ship. The anchor on that ship, she told me, weighs 28,000 pounds. That's just the anchor, and that ship floats really fine across the water. So I don't have any problem believing about the iron axe head floating. The stick here, I think, is symbolic of Jesus, who is called the branch of David, the righteous branch. And I think when that branch touched the water, it dispensed the power of Jesus and gave energy to that axe head, and it swam to the top. And that speaks of the blood of Christ that cleanses us from sin. You say, Brother Terry, if I get honest with God and admit that I've lost the cutting edge of the power of God in my life, and I ask God to show me where I lost it, and He shows me, and I'm willing to go back to that place where I lost it and get that right with God, make that relationship right with others, do you really believe God will forgive me and restore my life to the cutting edge of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say yes, definitely, without a doubt, I believe he will. Now watch verse 7. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Folks, if you don't ever ask for it, you're never going to receive it. If you don't put out your hand and take it, there's, there's a little bit of initiative on our part that needs to take place. God's looking for those who are hungering after him. You shall find me, he said, when you search for me with all your heart. If you never put out your hand, you're never going to be restored. You have to take it up. You have to take some initiative. We need to get some initiative today. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, bid me come. And Peter walked on the water. He did the impossible. Go back and study that. Whose idea was it for Peter to walk on the water? It was Peter's idea. He said, Lord, bid me to come. And Jesus said one word, come. And by the way, if you want to get technical about it, Peter didn't walk on the water. That's impossible. Peter walked on the word. Jesus said, come, and he believed. And when you believe the word of God, impossible things become possible.
Peter walked on the word. David, the Bible says in the Old Testament, saw Goliath and he said, is there not a cause? And he decided he was going to take on Goliath. And the Bible says, no, he was outmatched. I mean, this was, uh, this was Jaws facing a minnow. I mean, this was, this was uh, a, 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 you know, an unbelievable, unmatched. It was not in David's favor is what I'm trying to say. Little bitty David, big old Goliath. The Bible says David took that sling and some rocks and he ran to the battle. Go back and read it. Whose idea was it for David to fight Goliath? You won't find anywhere in the Bible it says God told him to go fight Goliath. That was David's idea. But it was the right idea. And he did it with energy and with faith. And God honored his faith and gave him the victory. The Bible says uh, Stephen, in the book of Acts chapter 8, ran to the chariot to witness to the Ethiopian eunuch. He ran to the battle. We're living in a day when we can no longer walk to the battle. We must run to the battle. You have to take initiative. We need to get set on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit for the kingdom of God and get the cutting edge of the Spirit back in our life. Well, let's close this out. Here's what, uh, here's what happened. He reached out his hand and took the axe head. And you say, what does that mean for me, preacher? Well, I'm going to tell you what it means. If you're here tonight and you're lost, what it means is that you need to come tonight and, and you need to confess your sin and ask God to forgive you and ask Jesus to come into your heart. You need to receive the forgiveness of God. You need to take the initiative. Walk this aisle with people who are praying for you. Give your heart to Christ. Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You just need to come and get saved. That's what it means for you. That's taking initiative. That's stepping up to the, to the challenge. If you're saved tonight, but you've lost the cutting edge, it means you need to come and say, Brother Sammy, I need, I need to get the cutting edge back. Pray with me. Or you just need to get on your knees down here and say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. The joy of thy salvation. You need to come and get it right with God. And you'll have personal revival burst forth in your soul. So this guy gets the axe head. What do you think he did with it? You think he took it home and put it on a shelf and charged a buck a head for folks to come see this floating axe head? You think he just, you know, uh, hugged it to his chest and sat down beside a tree and, and had an emotional time with it? No. Let me tell you what he did. He put that axe head back on that axe handle as fast as he could, and he jumped up and he ran over here to a tree, and he started chopping that tree with everything in his mind. Everybody else had been chopping, but he had lost the cutting edge. Now he had to catch up. So he's chopping, 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 and then he says, Timber! And that tree falls. As soon as that one falls, he runs over here and he starts chopping another tree. He just went back to work. And now with the cutting edge, he's able to do what he couldn't do before. So when you get the cutting edge in your life, you'll be able to accomplish things you cannot accomplish otherwise. You'll make a difference for Jesus Christ. My son got saved just a few years ago. I led him to Christ. He told me the next week that he had found, a, he listened to really bad music, but he told me he had found a gospel station that played nothing but hymns. I never thought I'd hear that from my son. You'd have to know 
where he had been. He was my prodigal. Three daughters that were not a problem. They just loved the Lord, served the Lord, married godly men, raising godly families. My son was different. But when he got saved, it was a change in his life. He told me, he said, Daddy, I listen to nothing but gospel music and hymns. And he said, you know what my favorite song is? I said, what is it, son? He said, it's that song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. That's what we need to sing for an invitation tonight. I have decided to follow Jesus. I said, really? He said, yeah, because back when I was running from God, he said, I heard you tell the story of how that song was written. How many of you know the backstory to I Have Decided? Anybody? You've ever heard how it was written? See, I just thought it was a, a ditty from out of the 70s, like a lot of songs. It's not. I have decided was written in northern Asia. A missionary went to a, a, an area that was completely unreached, full of uh, Buddhists and others that worshipped pagan gods. He went out there with taking his life in his hands to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those folks that really didn't want to hear. So he goes to one village, and he wins a couple to Christ, a man and a woman, and they had two little boys. And they leads them all to Christ. And he spends a little time discipling them, and then he prayed with them, and he left to go on to other villages to share the gospel. Soon as he left, the chieftain of that village called that mother and daddy and those two boys out into the center of the square in their village, right in the middle. And he called all the village together. And he said, uh, here is a family that has accepted a, a foreign religion. And we can't have it. And I'm going to call upon the Father to renounce this new religion called Christianity. And come back to our, our Hindu religion. And the Father said, I can't do it. And he remembered the words that that missionary had taught him to I have decided to follow Jesus. And he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The chieftain then called for the two boys to be brought out in the middle, separate from the mom and dad. And he called for his uh, warriors to step up. And they, they had arrows and bows. And he said to the, mom, to the dad, he said, if you don't renounce this new religion... I'm going to give the order, and they're going to shoot those arrows into your two sons, and you, they're going to kill your two sons before your very eyes. What will you say? And he said, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. The chieftain gave the order, and they shot those two little boys through with arrows. And as they lay in the ground, bleeding, their, their life's blood draining from their body in front of their mom and daddy's eyes, the chieftain said, now bring the wife out. And he said to the father, he said, if you don't renounce this new religion, this Christianity, come back to our religion, then I'm going to give the order to kill your wife. What are you going to do? And he looked at his wife, and she, she mouthed the words to him, don't, don't renounce Christ. And he said to the chieftain, he said, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And he gave the order and they shot his wife dead in front of him. And he said, now you have one chance left to live. You renounce this Christianity or you'll die. And he said, my cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And they shot him dead with arrows. 
they all went back to their homes, their huts. And somewhere in the middle of the night, that chieftain who couldn't sleep because he couldn't get out of his mind, whatever had happened to that father was so important that he would let his family, he would sacrifice his entire family before denouncing it. By morning, the chieftain had made a decision. He called the whole village out. And he said, I've never seen such loyalty. I've never seen anything like this father has done. And he said, I want to announce to you today that because of what he's done, I am now a Christian. I have accepted Christ as my Savior. And I want all of you to accept him too. The entire village was converted to Christ. This is a matter of history. That missionary made rounds to other villages and he came back to that village to find that the entire village had been converted to Christ. Because of a man who had not lost his cutting edge. And he and his family went to heaven that day. And I'm saying to you tonight, whatever situation you're in, God will use you, God can use you, so long as you have the cutting edge. Question, have you lost your cutting edge? Whatever it takes, don't lose your cutting edge. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together tonight. I ask you to bless this invitation that we're about to give. We've been here a while tonight, Lord. Brother Fred prayed that we'd see revival break out here tonight. And I pray you'll work on the hearts of your people. Just touch our hearts, God. Just sensitize us and give us a tenderness toward the things of God. And, and break our hearts as we come to you. And I pray, God, that as we sing, people will begin moving from their seats and coming to this altar to do business with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and say, I lay it all on the altar. And I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And Lord, I pray tonight you'll restore the cutting edge to many in this church for the glory of God. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.